You're listening to Under a Pile of Books, and in this episode, I sit down with Katie Edwards, author of the Tarot Sequence, beginning with The Last Sun and continuing in the forthcoming, as in, it comes out tomorrow, seriously guys, go pre-order it, The Hanged Man. We have a phenomenal discussion about the craft of writing, about representation in fantasy, and a whole lot of other stuff. I had a great time talking with Katie, and I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey everyone, I'm here with Katie Edwards, author of The Last Sun, and the second book in the tarot sequence, The Hanged Man. Uh, so, uh, Keith, thank you so much for being willing to come on. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So uh, I'm really excited uh, to have you on today. I loved The Last Sun, and then uh, when I read my uh, e-arc of The Hanged Man, I loved it even more. Uh, so uh, really excited to have you on. And, and the tarot sequence is just, I think, this wonderful, engaging, unique uh, kind of urban fantasy. And to start us off here, first question, I, I'm, I'm curious, how do you come up with the ideas for Atlantean society uh, in this series? Obviously, you know, you've taken inspiration from a tarot deck, but, but mm -hmm. how do you go from a deck of cards to these amazing novels? Um, well, first of all, thank you for calling them amazing. <laughs> That's a great way to start a conversation. Um, let's see. The... Uh, I suppose that one of the things that really triggered, I, I have so many genres I want to write, but the thing about this genre that I've always wanted to do, it's basically a lost civilization genre. And we've had throughout the entire scope of human history, um, there's actually a Wikipedia entry on lost civilizations because it seems like in every mythology, you know, from every part of the globe, there are stories about lost continents or lost islands or lost civilizations. Mm -hmm. And Atlantis is only the most obvious one. And to be perfectly honest, when I started writing it, I was I was almost sure that by the time I was ready to get published, something else would have come along and they would have taken the idea and it would have been too infeasible <laughs> to use Atlantis. And luckily Aquaman came a little bit later, um, but he does <laughs> he does his world building a little bit different. So right, right. Um, I stuck with Atlantis as my own a lost civilization trope. And the thing that's kind of so exciting about it is it has one foot in the human world because we know what Atlantis is from um, a perspective of mythology, but I can do the world building past that on my own. I mean, no one can come up and, you know, plunk a, um, you know, an A to Z map in front of me and say, no, 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 that street doesn't go there. <laughs> right. Atlantis, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, 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 Atlantis, that was the Northwest street, not East or West. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I would say that that was pretty much, that was, the beginning of what I wanted to do and as for how I got where I did the best I can tell you is that I am a huge outliner like I talk about this on a lot of um especially when I do like teaching classes like you know master class craft writing um seminars I like talking about what a consummate outliner I am there are some people okay yep yeah, they just can't do that. They have to write by the seat of their pants. Um, they feel suffocated if they have an outline, whereas I feel I feel almost the exact opposite, like, you know, social anxiety if I do not have a suffocating outline around me. And because of that, I can, before I even do a word, I've planned on a scene for years in some cases. Mm -hmm. So, you know, over the course of years before I sat down and wrote my, quote, New Atlantis novel, um, any time an idea occurred to me about any sort of social quirk from 
you know, what it's like waiting in line at a bank in a place like that to, you know, what happens if you get irritated with, you know, someone with 13 items and 12 or less and you have the power to blow them off the... <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I could think about stuff like that over the course of years. And then you condense all that together into something as small as one book. And it seems vast, like I came up with a lot at once, but it's really a lot of time went into it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and one of the things about these books is is the world building is just so rich. And it, you you can tell, even having read the novel, how much kind of thought and background you've, you've obviously uh, put into it because – of all those little details that just come out so naturally it's it's really cool yeah i enjoy that more more than anything and i want to be because i know what i want to do i know how many books i want in this series hopefully there's going to be a lot of continuity between that so i can go back to places Mm -hmm. and i can hint to um you know an entirely different location in the island that i know i'm not even going to be addressing for two novels down the road so there's a lot of fun with that too because i can leave a lot of um, breadcrumbs in my story I love it. I love it. Uh, so s- sort of going going along the theme of that uh, writing process and, you know, you're, you're an outliner or whatnot. Uh, like I said, the, the Last Sun, I thought it was great. And, and then you made everything even more great uh, in The Hanged Man. So what were some of the differences, if any, in, in the writing process between the first novel and the second? I, well, obviously, you know, the common answers are going to be you have more confidence in yourself and you know mm. the characters better. And that's true. But I think the biggest reason there's such a a difference is the readers. I mean, I just didn't expect mm. the readers. I mean, you do. You kind of hope that someone's going to be buying your book. And sure, you know sure. that there's like a faceless audience out there. But it turns out they ended up not being very faceless. They've been incredibly... Um, interactive and appreciative Mm -hmm. and they reach out and like I know my readers and I also made a commitment from the very beginning maybe because people have been so kind in their reviews that I've read all the reviews and a lot of writers would sooner shoot themselves in the face than you know open up the Amazon page and see what people who left a one-star review said about their book but um, number one I really have been for the most part really blessed with awesome reviews but even better there are people who love the story but they're willing to say I love this so much, but dot, dot, dot. And it's Mm. that but dot, dot, dot that I paid a lot of attention to. And I'm kind of an older, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in my, um, I'm, I'm firmly in the middle of my life. So I, (laughs) I'm a little bit, you know, when I was growing up, I thought I was Mr. You know, liberal um, because I'm a gay, first of all, I'm a, I'm a gay male. And I think, well, right then I have a badge, right? Because I'm gay. So I know what it's like to live in a marginalized community. But the world grew up around me. And what I used to think was incredibly liberal, all of a sudden I find myself having written a rather conservative novel just because I had gay characters. There was so much I left off the table. And my readers sure. taught me that. I mean, they taught me the different spectrums of not just sexuality, but relationships and, and romance. And, um, the the language we have nowadays to put a framework around certain types of behaviors that have existed always and and how so there are so many people who identify with these categories and beyond that i realized um i had such poor representation of woman in my book i mean really bad like mm. people try to argue that point with me and i will argue back in a second that the reviewers are <laughs> all right i mean they were either villain villainish or they were like pending villain <laughs> there, was, there, there was no scope i mean i think i literally called one of them walked around with like a cracked mirror like a disney witch so i i, I was horrible in my representation of having strong vibrant female characters in this community that was supposed to be really gender fluid and I took that to heart and 
some of the best additions I think in my second book are geared towards developing some strong female supporting casts um, for Rune and Bran, the, the kind of the, the duo at the heart of the story. And mm -hmm. uh, it was rewarding for me as well. So I, if it comes across as a better novel, I think it's because I enjoyed it better because I, I felt like, I, I don't know, I was part of something, not just writing it in a vacuum. Wow. That's so, uh, I mean, that's so awesome. It's really cool. And one thing that I've appreciated, uh, about, about you and just your presence online is, is you, you have a real willingness to interact with, uh, your fans, you know, on Twitter or, or wherever else. Uh, and so that's been really cool to, to be able to interact with you and to see you interacting with others and answering questions and that kind of thing. Uh, and it sounds like that interaction has really played, played a role in the way, uh, the, the hangman got, got crafted and, and some of the, the storylines in there. So that's, that's really neat. And it, it's cool how maybe the internet and, uh, and what we have today can, can facilitate that and allow that to happen. Oh yeah, I did not expect it. I did not see this coming, um, and it's been just the joy of my life. So, yeah, it, it's it is pretty fantastic that we have a tool like this that makes it feel almost like an old-fashioned storyteller, where I am literally, you know, in an inn <laughs> sitting next to a fire telling a story to people, and I'm getting some real-time feedback from them. Yeah, that's really neat. And and now going along with that, you mentioned. Um, yourself being a, a gay male and and writing sort of a, a gender fluid society and and some of these things but but even sort of from that perspective you know what are some of the things you've maybe learned as you've you've written characters in say underrepresented demographics uh, here in 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 especially in the second book where maybe you you things you've learned there for the second book that you didn't know or that weren't in the forefront of your mind in the first book? Um, I think that one of the, um, well, and, and I'll be honest, you cut out for a little bit of that question. I'm pretty sure I got the gist of it, but if I cut out, let me know. Um, but I think the biggest thing is recently I, um, I have a lot of readers who identify as asexual or demisexual. Um, mm. Those are two big categories I see a lot mentioned, and certainly a lot of transgendered readers as well. And one of the things, my big learning, and I hadn't necessarily planned this from the beginning, but I did envision New Atlantis as being a gender-fluid society, and I really need some transgendered representation. So I had a character um, who I introduce in the second book, and who is going to identify that way in the third book, that that's a journey that I'm going to be on as well, because I want to represent it right. What was really kind of strange is realizing two of the characters I wrote um, filled a mold before I even put a finger on it. And what's even a little bit spookier is kind of realizing that I identify with one of those as well. Um, mm. the, con the concept of demisexuality is really, it's not so much, um, you know, necessarily like a sexual identity or it's just more of a sense of what you need to form a bond or a relationship with someone needs to be rooted deeply, I mean, deeply in trust before you're willing to go down that road. And the more and more I read about it, the more I realize that my main character, Rune, is indeed demisexual. I mean, sure, it's, just, right. yeah. it's just so obvious the way, to the point where the one awkward moment, I look back and I, for sometimes I think about, I wish I could rewrite a certain scene in The Last Son, in which it got very intimate with him and... Um, the person who becomes his boyfriend. And then it actually occurred to me that, no, it's perfect because it was so uncomfortable still kind of writing it that it, it's 
part of the definition of what Rune is going through and mm -hmm. the ability to reflect back on that. And I will actually, in one of the novellas that I'm writing between the novels and certainly in the third novel, Adam, oh, I guess because I kind of gave away his boyfriend's name, <laughs> bit of a spoiler, but the um, he basically puts his finger on it, he realizes he can't move fast intimately with Rune because Rune needs a huge safe harbor before he's even willing um, right. to address that mm -hmm. part of a relationship. And to find my identity kind of aligning with that as well, I mean, which isn't that strange because Rune came from my head and some of my experiences, though certainly not as traumatic, um, it, it's been just kind of eye-opening. And the other one was Quinn is a character who basically has maybe two or three scenes in the first novel, yet everyone, if you have to put a finger on a character who you like the most, he's usually the second one people point out. And, yeah, I love Quinn. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that, he even took me by surprise because a lot of the characters I put in my novel are what I call archetypes. They've, they've always existed in my head, and Quinn is completely new. I've never written anyone like him before. And realizing he's asexual, he's ace, is um, it makes so much sense from the very beginning. Of it, just of course he is, and I don't want to necessarily address that right now because he's still only about fifteen. And I think there's a lot of, and this is part of my learning too. There's a lot of sensitivity around making sure that um, uh, people who identify as ace aren't necessarily portrayed as being childlike or naive. So I want Quinn to mature a bit and to become a man in his own right, and then he can, you know, understand. I don't know, in himself better from that perspective. Um, you know, more as a grown teenager and a young man and less as a child. So that's going to be a journey I'm on as well. But I, I think it's been interesting. Yeah, I know. It, it really has. And this is all, to me, really, really interesting information, partially because I really think one of the, I mean, there's, there are about 20 great things about your novels, but one of the things that I really love is... Uh, the the depth to your characters in in a story that could be sort of very action packed and 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 it has a lot of those sort of um, big action pieces to it and that's really fun but there's this depth to the characters and to hear you talk about even your own understanding of of these characters growing uh, as you learn more about them and as you learn more about uh, people and and in our own world and our own society, it's just really neat to just see the the depth to these characters. And I really, uh, I really appreciate that about the novels. And and I'm excited to see where the the story, and really even more than the story, where these characters go uh, and how they grow uh, in the 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 coming novels uh, as well. So that's that's really neat. Thank you so much for for just kind of sharing the some of the background there. You're welcome. Uh, so without without getting into big spoilers or whatnot, do do you have a favorite arc in The Hanged Man, either story arc, character arc, uh, whatever? But do do you do you have a favorite one there in The Hanged Man? I do, and not many people have asked me that question, and I kind of like it because. Um... And I have talked about this before. Um, if you go back through my Twitter, buried in it, especially last year, <laughs> like observant readers will note that I went through a period where it seemed like I was stalled. And I wasn't so much stalled, but there is a story arc in The Hangman that takes place um, basically over two chapters, though there's a strong one-chapter lead into it, um, set in a place I call the Green Docks, which is this red-light mm. district filled with ghost ships um, from human history. And the two-chapter arc takes place on a battleship, and it's a ghost story. And I never thought of myself as a horror writer, but people have definitely identified that that's a very real part 
of those two chapters. I mean, I have some spooky stuff going on, but it took me almost the better part of a year to research that. Um, literally a year of going to the battleship North Carolina, which is the model I based it on, walking it, reading its history, reading what sailors must have lived like um, during World War II on a battleship. Uh, and then and then imagine wow. yeah, my storyline in place on top of it. It was, I mean, I, the entire novel probably took about five months to write, and it took me a year just to write those two chapters. Wow, that's that's awesome. And I, the, that that whole arc uh, with the, the 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 battleship is one of my favorites in the book uh, I as well. Am so so glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I just thought that was, oh uh, yeah, no, that that's so cool. And and again, I don't want to get into spoilers, but but just some of what you did there with it, uh, and the the way you linked it in with with character yeah. uh, as well as the story, I loved all of it. It was. Oh, that was awesome. That was awesome. Yeah, and it's fun doing something like that with my two main characters, Rune and Bran, because they're just so irreverent with each other that even in like the <laughs> darkest moment, they'll find just the, the way they banter is is like it's a constant joy to write. Like if I have a scene where they're not both in it together, it's usually a struggle because their chemistry is so natural and yeah, and yeah. and they make me laugh too. Sometimes I'll sit down and I I'll read a note I took 2 years ago of a one-liner brand is ready to kind of shout off at brand <laughs> or a rune and I'll I'll just lose it. <laughs> in the middle of the coffee shop and being like, "Well, of course he says that." <laughs> and and I know and the and the thing now is I know that readers respond to that. So even better as yeah. I'm writing it, I'm like, "Oh, I think this is going to be something that they're really going to enjoy." So that's kind of rewarding in itself. Oh yeah, no, I I bet. Well, and and I I love the uh, the banter and the dialogue between between Rune and Brand, and and I you know I think I think a lot of people do, and uh, so it's just it's really fun. Uh, and 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 again, somehow the, it, it's fun and funny at points, and yet uh, there are other points where it it kind of slips into the sort of the profound as we really learn. I think about both of them as as people, sometimes through the the banter that they shout back and forth at one another. Yeah, and I, I think my readers are really indulgent um, from, from from me with that as well, because I usually end every novel with a really generous epilogue, not mm -hmm. like a, two or three pages, but I usually have a good solid five or six scenes. And um, in both novels I published, that's amongst the best feedback I get is that that's one of the better parts of the novel, The because it's nothing but character-driven moments. The plot's over by then, the storyline is over by then, and this wraps everything up, but also gives a lot of character development and hints to the next novel. And people's response to that is, I mean, that's what it's about. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so glad they're giving me a chance to tell about these characters and not just simply want me to end the story when the last bullet is fired. Right. Right. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I, I love it. The, uh, again, these, the, the depth that you're bringing to, to the world through the characters is, is, it's, it's really one of a kind and I, I love it. I love it. So, um, now speaking about sort of epilogues and, and, and all of that, what are, what are some of your plans for the tarot sequence moving forward? I know, you know, you mentioned already, you've got, you've got a bunch outlined, you've got the series outlined or whatever, but, mm -hmm. but what are some of your plans moving forward? Like we're talking like Christmas wish list type plans. <laughs> sure, yeah, yeah. Like, like. Yeah. Uh, okay, I can talk yeah, about yeah. that. Um, I know. Well, some of this stuff isn't necessarily. Some of this stuff is a. Wouldn't it be nice? And some of the stuff is actually approaching a kind of weird sort of reality. But 
Um, like one of the things I'll be doing in February is going to LA. And part of the reason I'm going to LA is because I do have a Hollywood agent and I have a company I'm working with, a development company that's interested in exploring what would the last sun look like as a TV series. Mm. And that's been amazing. Just like the chances of stuff like that happening are so small, but I'm further along than just, Hey, what is this book? I now have, people attached to it and names and and writers and talking about what a pitch would look like and imagining what a season would look like and it's far enough along that it's been an interesting experience and kind of um like that's definitely a wish list thing um the other would be i love video games um i talk about it all the time and graphic mm -hmm. novels too but video games i would love an open world rpg of hang oh. um or not the hangman but the tarot sequence as a whole like right, yeah. the, the, all of the the whole magic system can be mapped to a d controller like a d-pad on a controller i've oh yeah I, I mean i literally built it like with the idea of like limitations on spells and time length and so i would love like a witcher 3 type massive open world game <laughs> um, um i would for, be there for that so much i, I would just and be I, there for that. I would like. I would love to write it. I'd love to be involved in the um, the story arcs in it. I that would just be a dream come true. Um, and the other things of the books themselves. I do have nine novels planned, three trilogies, and you know, God willing, I'm going to get to tell all the stories if you know the publisher allows that. But so far, things are looking pretty good. Um, I've definitely started writing Tarot Three, and between every Tarot novel, I do a free novella. And I want to constantly keep on doing that, even though I'm really slow at writing them. And the second book's about to come out, and I haven't finished the last chapter of the novella yet. But um, I, I definitely want to do that because it lets me do some more light, kind of lighthearted stuff that you wouldn't mm -hmm. fit into the pace of a, of a book. Um, so those are my immediate dreams. I love it. I love it. And and those those are exciting. Those are excited for exciting for me as a, you know, as a fan, as a reader, because um, wow, yeah. All of those, all of those would be awesome, and I'm definitely looking forward to future books in the series, future novellas. Um, yeah, I think I think it's uh, it, it's it's great stuff. It's great stuff. So, uh, so kind of a a little bit of a more lighthearted question or or whatnot here, I guess. But if you could have dinner with any character from all of fantasy literature or or whatever, who would it be? Oh wow, that is such a good question. <laughs> Oh, I love that. I I would want to probably sit down with John Crichton from Farscape. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Farscape was a huge influence on this when that came out, you know, years and years ago. But it was this massive space opera. But you know, found family was at the heart of it. Um, very similar to my series. Yep. And uh, John Crichton is very much a rune-like character too, in which he's um funny and he has moments of really like. He has really bold, kick-ass moments, and then he has moments where he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna run right now. <laughs> I'm gonna, I am literally gonna turn around and leave you in the dust because I'm not gonna win this fight." Um, and in there are moments too when he cries. He has, yeah. you know, he gets his character. It's the the emotion overwhelms him and he cries. And there was something about that that I always loved, and the story in the world. I think I'd love to uh, have lunch on um, the the Farscape chef, more Moya. Uh, that'd be my dream. Oh, that'd be awesome. I know. I'm going to be done with this conversation. I'm going to be like, oh, man, I should have talked about, like, Dracula, or <laughs> <laughs> I should have really dug deep, but no. <laughs> no, I love I love the, uh, well, Farscape it, it was, it was a great show, right? It really, really, um, and so, but, but that, uh, I, I can, 
I, I had not thought about it before now, but I can totally see uh, some of the, um, wh- whatever you want to call it, the the inspiration or similarities yeah. or, 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 or whatnot. Uh, and that's, that's really neat. That's really neat. Um, and that would be, it would be cool to be on. I mean, it'd be cool to be on it like any spaceship, but, uh, particularly Moria would be pretty awesome. So, oh yeah. Especially one where they had such like a vibrant universe that they created that they, I mean, that's a show where they invested heavily in their world building. Um, yeah. you know, e- even on the budget they had in that time, what they were able to build the scope of it in the mythology was incredible. Oh yeah, 100%, 100%. So, well, Keith, now let's assume, you know, folks who've, who've listened to, to this interview here, they're going to want to, uh, well, first of all, you all are going to want to go, if you haven't read The Last Sun, get that, read it, and then get The Hangman and read that because they're both awesome. Uh, but maybe you want to follow uh, Keith, uh, you know, after that or during that while you're reading whatever uh so where can folks find you online to kind of keep tabs on what you're doing and what's coming down the pike sure um i do have a website it's kd-edwards.com though i probably need to update that a little bit um and focus a little bit more on the hangman but i think the thing that you can find me most common at is twitter i've you know i i have I have limited attention span, so I needed to pick one form of social media, and Twitter really turned out to be good for me. Um, so I constantly interact with people on that and post snippets and hints and um, deleted chapters every now and then. And that's um, KD Edwards underscore NC, as in North Carolina. Perfect. Well, thank you so much once again for being willing to, to come on, and uh, thank you for giving us uh, The Last Son and The Hangman. Well, thank you for this. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about it.